Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello and welcome back to the ninth edition of Knights of Nitro. That once in a while dip over to the red brand of WCW from your friends at Days of Thunder here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, powered by LargeManAppears.com. I'm your host, as always, Dave Ryan. I'm joined by my good friend, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, we're back. Uh, it feels like only yesterday that I was doing the last Knights of Nitro with Garrett Kidney. Um, had you missed Nitro deeply? Uh, you said this is the ninth edition of Knights of Nitro, and all yes. I can think to myself is, why the fuck have we done nine editions of Knights of Nitro? <laughs> I feel like they've all been significant in one way or another. They um, have, they have. Yeah, but it is still like I think our purest sense when we when we set up this podcast was to never do it. But unfortunately, the toys are just too shiny over on Nitro. Sometimes there's stuff that you really like want to talk about that uh because it's wcw they don't cover enough happening then on the uh on, on thunder and thunder don't get enough of the goodies um but uh before we launch into any of that anyway how the fuck are you i'm good i'm good um yeah it's it's still the the middle of summer in ireland so of course it's raining um yeah. so yeah no, I'm, I'm good um had a nice i think it's been a week since we talked so yeah, it's been like, been a good week. Getting back That's into the uh, the swing of actually seeing you regularly, and it's not like a huge catch up every time. I li- listen. I literally just I said to Jen. I think it was yesterday morning. I was like, "It's mad." Like I'm gonna see Dave for the first time in three and a half years yeah. next month, and yet I've probably talked to him more than I've talked to most other people. Yeah, it's weird, the, isn't in it? Three and a half years. It's it's very yeah. strange. Yeah, it's like I actually had a similar phenomenon about a week and a half ago as we were talking because um, I have uh, spoken to the man online for several years. I have hosted a podcast with him for about 18 months now and for the first time in my life met Gary Kidney in person uh, last week. Yeah, I've, I've never actually formally met Garrett. I think I've been in the same room as him many times. But, yes, uh, yes. Never, we've, never we've been at yet. shows... He, he has been to some of the, the OTT shows pre-Pando that we went to, um, but we never we never crossed wires. Um, so it was yes. nice to get to meet uh, a, a, the lovely man 
that is Gar Kidney. He brought us to um, he brought us to a a marina market, food market that also happened to be having a dog festival that same day. Uh, so it was a, a great time. Um, we also had um, in very much in keeping with the the brand here on Days of Thunder. Uh, he also brought us on the way through there uh, inadvertently through an area that had. Um, what can only be described as scenes from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift happening uh, where there were there were lots of uh, young men in their boy racer cars out uh, ready to style and profile on the streets of Cork City oh okay uh, not not what you'd expect to find in uh, in Cork City well you know I yeah. suppose they knew you were coming so they were, were putting on a show that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. DK and the boys were getting ready to do some hot drift and action. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, they've obviously listened to the the cast and the Furious. And... Yes, well, I mean, why wouldn't you? You and you yourself can uh, listen to that with a short trip over to a large man appears dot com, uh, where we reviewed uh, the first eight Fast and Furious movies so far. So we've got three left to go before we're up to date finally uh, on that. Um, I suppose we've forestalled long enough. Uh, it's time to get into uh, this Nitro. Do we want to talk a little bit about um, why this one was on the list, firstly? I mean, I suppose we can. It, it's, we, I think you put it on the list for yeah. for the reason of one Shane Douglas showing up. And he is what I believe we are calling the four horsemen of the apocalypse of WCW. Yes, he is the second horseman to appear after Sid last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be rounding off with the arrivals of, of course, Double J and Vince Russo. Uh, because then we know it's well and truly irreversible. But uh, also part of me wanted to do the Shane Douglas episode because I think my memory looking back at the time, um, two of the things I liked, one of which was a guilty pleasure, uh, about Dying Days WCW I very much had a guilty pleasure enjoyment of the franchise in WCW um, and then the other things that really intrigued the young me uh, as I was really getting into the craft of professional wrestling are Lance Storm when he shows up and also Candido um, I was big into them I was, I was just like a, like a big mid-card guy I mean, uh, I guess I think you should have been watching ECW in 1998 if this is your big takeaway from the dying days of the I know WCW. this is it and I've talked before is <laughs> like I had precious little access or knowledge of how to access WCW or ECW sorry mm-hmm. at the time like if that was being thrown at me on a channel I had the way that WCW was I absolutely would have been bet into it um, but yeah I, I feel like it's a significant because he's also a figure Shane Douglas as much as he is tied with ECW he is firmly associated with this period of WCW. Yeah, for for he, better or more than likely worse, he's uh yeah. he's very much one of the figureheads of the downfall of WCW. Yeah. And uh very much uh has a hilarious minor part in the biggest talent jump that happens over the next year or so. Uh, uh, but I, we will get to that. Yeah, I feel so bad from still on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but we'll, we'll talk more about him when we actually get to him. But what I think was great about this episode, um, and maybe I am stretching the use of the word great, is that that's the one reason we zoned in on this episode. But then it turned out there's about three more genuinely significant things for WCW history that happen on this show. 
uh, at least for you know this period of time anyway um so i was kind of tickled to uh happen upon basically three segments in a row of big things that happen i mean you're obviously talking about jerry flynn joining the first family yes but well obviously first and foremost uh, how that didn't turn business around, I'll never understand. <laughs> this first family, um, I feel like this first family angle has been going on for fucking ever. It's and been just going never on. Never gets they, any better. No, he has tried. I think Jimmy Hart now is on his third attempt to reform the first family since Thunder started, because he was doing the bit with uh, Meng and Barb mm-hmm. right at the start of Thunder, and I'm pretty sure he did it once in 1998 again. Um, when he, and ju- he just, he just recruited Hugh Morrison was like yeah I'm putting the first family back together and then it yeah. was dropped for a little bit and now they're doing yeah. it again now they're doing it again uh, so yeah that's obviously one of the things but one of the things that doesn't make the network cut of the show that we should talk about a little bit uh, beforehand one of the things that like if you look up uh, kind of like all time horrific WCW segments or ill judged angles any of those lists that those uh, a lot of those clickbaity sites do. Um, one of the things you're always going to see, Lee, is a, a an image of uh, one Marcus Bagwell in blackface. Mm. Um, did you remember the blackface segment at the time? I didn't. Um, again, it was 1999. If there wasn't something horrific happening on either Raw or Nitro, it was a good week. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're not that far removed from the uh, like we're maybe what a year or so removed from the uh, the DX Nation blackface mm-hmm. skit, and even right before it was a year before that, wasn't it? Where DX sprayed the nation's locker room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, no, I did. I didn't remember this segment. I didn't even. I know the image was sent to us on Twitter, um, and I didn't bother looking up the segment because I don't need that kind of shit in my life. So I I think I saw I either saw the segment at the time or it was like an image that was replayed in some video packages uh, over the next couple of years of like wacky nitro segments. Mm. Um, but the image of him uh, do like dressed up as Ernest the Cat Miller uh, with his fake Sonny Ono uh, is definitely something that it was sent to us on Twitter. I didn't know it happened now. But as soon as I saw it, I remembered it. Um, so I feel like I've seen it before. Um, I was like, the, the rule I set for myself wasn't quite as stringent as you because I did want to eviscerate it on the air. Um, I, outside of just saying how absolutely deplorable it was, I wanted to really get into the weeds of just how bad it was. But I said to myself, I'm not actually going to do any hard work to to find this. So if I just do a Google and I don't see like a good copy of the segment uh, in the first couple of search results, I'm not going to watch it. And the only one I could really see was some dude who had recorded it with his phone off the TV. And I was like, no, no, that's fine. I don't need terribly, uh, terrible uh, resolution, Dutch angled (laughs) version of this, uh, this segment. I don't need it in my life either. Yeah, so... Thankfully, WWE did something good and cut this from the uh, the episode that's on the network. Yeah. Now, we will probably talk a couple of times on this show about how we are getting to the point of losing our patience with uh, the network edits of things. Oh, so um, 
do we want to wait until that comes up in a big way? Yeah, we'll, later we'll, on? we'll wait till we get into the show. But it, it's, it's I know really, you had some. It, it's really testing my patience. Yeah, you had some very strong things to say in uh, in our uh, little Discord chat uh, that that you and I have mm. um, about it. So we'll we'll let you kind of unleash on that later on. Um, Nitro, uh, this is Nitro uh, number two hundred, I believe. Um, Rockford, Illinois, nineteenth uh, of July, nineteen ninety nine, a three point three rating. Uh, I'd actually be interested for the first time to look up the segment by segment on this because I feel, and we'll talk about it when we get to it, there's a, a couple of back-to-back segments in Hour 3 that I felt like if that wasn't going to build an audience towards a main event, uh, I think they weren't going to do much better uh, for a while after. Um, but we start off with a video package that it's a flashback of Sting saving Hogan and Nash uh, costing Savage the title. Um uh, and then uh, Sting beating everyone up. Um, how how have you been feeling? Because every time I see it, I, I feel weird about the idea of Sting uh, coming out to, to save Hogan. <laughs> it, it's something they should never have went back to. Sting and Hogan should have been those um, eternal rivals. They should never have been on the same side. And if they did, eventually end up on the same side it should have been built and built and built instead it's just here's three good guys gone against these guys that are now heel and it's it's i get they're trying to fucking hot shot and they're trying to make get business up and stuff but man it's just so fucking disheartening to see these guys that were rivals for all of 1997 the beginning of 1998 they went their separate ways and now just well, Hogan's a good guy now, so here's Sting to help him. They're doing a thing um, that is very transparently, okay, Terry's back, and Terry has decided he's going to be a babyface. So we need to drastically reshuffle the entire top of the card to make that make even a tiny bit of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only person that is just like, I am swimming as hard as I can against the current to get out of the way is Nash. Yeah, that, that <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it later in the show. But man, does that man just want nothing got to do with Hulk Hogan at this point. Yeah, he, He's just, I can tell he's just so exasperated even just doing this angle. Yeah. The, 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 again, we talked about it um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, on the show, but just the the wisdom and the foresight uh, to drop the belt to Savage so he didn't have to drop it to Hogan. Yeah, it's and look, I get it. He, he's going to get another pay per view payday out of actually doing the match for Hogan. So yeah. listen, we've said it before. He's the best worker in the fucking company. Best worker, maybe in the history of the business. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Okay. So our commentary lineup for tonight is uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, as per usual, but Scott Hudson yeah, what, on what, play-by-play what, What's going Nitro. on here? Especially because later on, we see Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay. They're in the building. Okay, was Schiavone in the ring later on? Because I thought he was, but I wasn't 100% yes. sure. Not only was he in the ring, but Scott Hudson points out that he's in the ring. Okay, did he? Yes, he said Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay are in here trying to get answers. Okay, Mean Gene was on the mic for a lot of that segment. 
So yes, that, but that, then, that's why I was confused. It was yeah. like... So the two lads jumped in with additional microphones to act like it was kind of like a paparazzi thing. Ah, uh, okay, right. But we will we will talk a little bit more about that. But it was just like, I had assumed until that segment that it was like, oh, this is one of those times where, um, you know, maybe Shivani is doing play-by-play on a baseball game or something, or he's, you know, he's got some time off. A kid's uh, fucking graduation Ante- or something. Yeah, and Tanae wasn't booked to fly and couldn't make it. Uh, so Scott Hudson, who I assume was showing up all the time, just on the off chance someone didn't come into work, um, gets the chance. How are you with like uh, Scott Hudson in general as a commentator? I I think he's pretty good. Like he's, I enjoyed him on this show. Yeah. Um, I think he gets a bad rap because wasn't he part of the WWE WCW announced team for that awful yes. match? Yes, and I think the... he gets kind of tagged with that because Aaron was fucking horrendous. Um, but no, like like Scott's pretty much a staple from like here on out, really, isn't he? As part of WCW, yeah, because he's either now we've seen him in in fits and starts on shows. He's he's been the Saturday night commentator for a while. Yes, with Tanae. Um, but we see him more and more in shows. He kind of up until the end of WCW, um, he starts to get a more prominent role in commentary in, on Thunder. I want to say in two thousand. Um, but he's also a backstage interviewer. Yeah. Uh, see, see, post reboot, I remember him doing a lot of backstage interviewing. Yeah. Um. So we will see a good bit more of him. Yeah, I'm kind of the same as you. Like, I I wouldn't say he's great. But I would say he's like perfectly serviceable as a commentator and he does have a good broadcast voice yeah. as well. And I think the thing with, with Scott was like post WCW, he had a really good shoot job. Yeah. And that's why he never really did. Like, I know he was in TNA, but he was not there permanently, I don't think. He wasn't reliant on it. No, his, I, I, his, I, his, as his far career. as I remember, I think he had a, like a, a really good shoot job, so. Yeah, um, fair play to him. Yeah, he's he's a guy who, yeah, I like him, uh, don't love him, but also uh, when I think about the people who get starring roles on commentary over the next couple of years, he's up in the higher end, like when you compare him to like a Madden, a Stevie Ray, a Hooventude. Would, would it be fair to say he's a good replacement level commentator? Yeah, yeah, he's a great ringer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're told at the start, as we were told on Thunder, so that we would tune in this Monday. Dennis Rodman will be back tonight. The insane clown posse are here. Um, and they start to, we'll talk about him in detail and who he is later. But they mention somebody from a TV show is going to appear. But the pyro is too goddamn loud for us to make out who they're talking about. Um, and we're also told that the battle for control of WCW is tonight. Um, Actually, how long? I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off, but did you see that tweet that went out this week about the Bam Bam Rey Mysterio match and the the mid match pyro to signal the change of the hour? I, I can't remember who it was put it up, but it got a lot of traction on Twitter this week, and people were like, "Why? Why did they do pyro in the middle of a match?" We should have tweeted it when we covered it. And yeah, and that, that's what I was thinking, and I was just like, "Man, I I genuinely." feel old because that's something that we were just so used to <laughs> um, yeah yeah it, we took a around it but oh, like, what's that sound it sounds like war has started in the other part of the arena what's that it's like oh it's uh, just the hour yeah, change it's just literally nitro hour two so they can be on the the chart as three separate shows 
Um, and it was the same with the, the Raw and then Warzone. They do it as well. They literally do a whole new, yeah. s- a second intro, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was stunned to see it get so much traction and people like, why would they do this? I forget I forget that there's a whole generation of people that didn't grow up on this. Yeah, we need to get more conscious of that so we can we can we can bank some numbers on the tweet machine before it goes down in flames. Um so I I was going to ask you, how long do you think, with them plugging the battle for control tonight, um, at a guess Lee, how long before the next battle for control of WCW happens in the ring? Three weeks. Okay. We'll try and bear that in mind. Uh, we've got an extended video package of Flair losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then speaking of someone who lost their mind, Sid is here. Uh, what's great about Sid having no music, Lee, is that you can hear the things Sid is screaming at the crowd. Um, I, among them, he says, in a, it, it, back to back to back, he says, I despise you. I hate you. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't realise I was doing a podcast with Tom Pritchard yeah I know yeah. Uh, Bruce Pritchard sorry not Tom Bruce yeah yeah brother I br- love you brother love here um, yeah Sid is uh, I hate Sid but no music I think fucking sucks like we've literally we've seen Bam Bam <laughs> but, do it we've seen Lee we would have missed I despise you <laughs> I mean Sid probably did despise those people Yes, he almost certainly did. Um, but yeah, no, I hate it coming out with no music. It fucking sucks. Uh, apart from that weirdness during his intro, I actually enjoyed uh, parts of his promo here. Very simple and to the point. And as far as Sid promos go, you understood what he was trying to say. Uh, he says, Mr. Hogan, you have something that belongs to me. Uh, these idiots can scream Hogan at the top of their lungs all they want. It won't matter, which was great because then he paused for a beat to let the Hogan chance swell. I, I was literally have the same stuff written as you. I was like, it's not a good promo, but I really liked it. And he, he leads them in Hogan chance. It's just, it's kind of masterful stuff that you don't see anymore. Yeah. Working the crowd really well without mm-hmm. them even realizing he's doing it. Um, and he says, tonight Hogan will call him the master and ruler of the world. Uh, but before we move on, can I point out the graphics they put up for Hogan and Sid and Ric Flair and Sting? Talk to me. Are fucking hilariously outdated. <laughs> yeah. Ric Flair's picture has to be from at least 1996. Yeah. Sting's Crow picture is like Starcade 97. Yeah. Sid, I think, is probably recent enough. But the Hogan is like nineteen fucking ninety five Hogan. It's like it. It's so hilariously bad. Their uh, their their production team sometimes are just like they just are not on top of renders and things like that. They're just like ah, who'll notice that? It's it's so fucking. It, I literally I picked it up on the Sting flare bit, and then when he showed Hogan, I was like, oh my god, this company just. It's little details like this that just led the people not giving an absolute fuck about them. Yeah. Uh, one of the funny things I, I love about these network edits is that they'll they'll edit out a bunch of like music stuff and things like that. But one thing they don't edit out is like all the uh, cheesy corporate sponsorship stuff uh, that is definitely from outdated stuff. So we get a we get a promo here for Starburst Hard Candy. Give it some juice. <laughs> I don't know, Lee, if I'm on board with the concept of Starburst Hard Candy. 
Yeah, seems a bit odd. Is that not just um, what's them fucking sweets that nobody likes? Jolly Ranchers. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, Starburst is a famously malleable yeah uh, food. Um, if anybody, because uh, I know we've got a lot of American listeners, if any of you tried Starburst hard candy back in the day, or if it's still available, let us know. Give us your review. It just seems like something that wouldn't work for me. Also, if it or is like, it, if it is still available, send it to us. Yeah, or like one of those. Um, do you know those kind of glassy sweets on the outside that have the juice on the inside? That's that's kind of what I was thinking as well. It could be like in my head. Is that not Charlie Ranchers? Do they have ju- uh, you see I've never had a Jolly Rancher what? I know that I know that people don't like them so I've never really bothered with them see I worked with an American for many years and very often he would bring in Jolly Ranchers ah I see yeah uh, we get Nitro Girl segment number one followed by a Matt classic Fit Finley versus Jerry Flynn of the first family um god damn did I think we were done with this trophy bullshit, Lee? But this match starts, and the first thing we see is Jimmy Hart's big, stupid face on the screen. Jimmy Hart stole Fifth Finley's trophy. Do you care, Dave? If someone, if I had that trophy in my possession and someone stole it, one of two things would happen. One, I would be incredibly thankful for it. Or two, I would find it returned hours later. <laughs> because who the fuck wants this? I think I'd pay them to keep it. it. Also, Jimmy Hart orchestrated that whole hardcore thing. And if he loved the trophy so much, why didn't he just go make the trophy and keep it? Yeah, it's, again, makes no sense. So if Fit Finley wants his trophy back, all he has to do is show up in Sturgis, he says. And then he introduces Jerry Flynn as his opponent tonight. Um, Finley with a hard whip into the corner and corner spear early. Flynn with an even harder Irish whip. Uh, he does his flipping corner kick to follow that and a hard diving clothesline. That was a fun little sequence. And I, I'm not going to say, Lee, that this match was by any stretch of the imagination great. But I do enjoy a match where I get the feeling that two dudes are just like slapping each other around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> it's Finley. I have no interest. I just, I can't. And the first family are just so fucking dead on arrival to me. Mm. I just couldn't take any notes of this. I did not give a fuck. Um, the the one that one of the only notes I have is, uh, Jimmy Cart cuts in at some point to scream, "Come on, Flynn," which then encourages the crowd to chant "USA, USA." Yes, chant "USA, USA" for the heel. Yes. Uh huh. Um, I do have that in here. Uh, there's there's a big chop by Jerry Flynn, which is met with an eye poke by Finley. Um, there is I think the most personality Finley has ever shown when he shouts. Come on, you American scumbag, Adam. Which got a big laugh out of me. Um, the ref stops Finley getting a chair on the outside. Uh, boot to the gut from Flynn, and he tosses him into the steps. Finley blocks him with another eye poke, puts him in a sleeper, and that's when, as you described, Lee, uh, Jimmy Hart gets back on the screen. Um, 
Finley comes back off the rope for a Hangman Page-esque throat chop uh, from Jerry Flynn. Uh, who knew Hanger was watching his Jerry Flynn tapes, eh? Would explain a lot. <laughs> um, Finley spears the turnbuckle but recovers as uh, and then hits Flynn with a fireman's carry uh, forward roll. Uh, he goes after Hart but gets ambushed by the first family and a trash can. And by trash can, I don't mean Brian Nobbs. Can we talk about how Jimmy Hart hides under a... It's obviously like a production truck or van or something. Um, yes. But he hides under the one part of it that has an actual mat on the ground for him to hide on. Yeah. This company... I c- like, I, here's I just the can't. thing, right? Here's the thing about Jimmy Hart, right? I, I agree with you on the first family thing. Dead on arrival, not into it at all. But there's something about what a dumb kind of coward that Jimmy Hart is that does make me laugh. Like, at the pay-per-view where he was in the Junkyard Invitational, but he was wearing a, he was wearing a massive crash helmet. Uh, and here, I would totally buy that uh like a loudmouth coward like jimmy hart is like i'm gonna talk all this trash from the car park but just in case someone comes i'm gonna lay down uh, a mat under this car so my suit doesn't get scuffed i i think it was more fucking wcw held and safe you're like no you can't lie on the ground oh i'm sure that's actually what it is but i kind of like in my own head your, canon, your, your head can i could totally buy yeah, it okay um so yeah, we've got our first and not our last non-finish on the show in that match. Uh, I did crack up laughing at the opening image of the next segment, which is Lenny and Lodi in a very serious bu- business meeting with JJ Dillon, but they're both topless. Incredible yes. bit. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this direction they're going with Lenny and Lodi? The gay panic? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not great about it, Lee. I'll be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the like the the segment began and I went, "Oh, yeah, we're at this now." Yeah, great. And we will be enjoying it for a long time because, as we know, uh, we eventually get to WWA uh, after WCW, which we've been covering as our annual Christmas tradition over here, mm-hmm. uh, and they are in in fifth gear of the gay panic gimmick by then. So at this point, JJ is now insinuating that they are brothers. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if this was, is the joke that JJ is an idiot and thinks that's why they're close? Or is the joke supposed to be don't ask, don't tell? I think they're leaving it up to you to decide what the joke is. I don't know if they're smart enough to leave things open to interpretation in this company, to be honest. I think they just went, ha, gay characters. And that was the thought put into it. Yeah, JJ has a line in here. Just so cringy about it. I know you aren't the only ones in the company. Do I look like I've been in a closet? Ha mm. ha ha ha. Well, JJ also famously had a segment where he was in a closet. You yeah. might you you might not remember this. I don't. Or be aware of it. Um, Ric Flair won a date with Precious, who was Ronnie Garvin's second as valet. And JJ was like, oh, I want to be a part of it. And he said, oh, can I hide in the closet? So he did. And ended up, it was Ron Garvin in just, drag. Just, as Precious that showed up. And JJ was just cranking it in the closet. Well, that was the, the insinuation. Yes, he was going to get to watch yes. watch the action, I think it was. Um, but yeah, it was Ron Garvin. They call him Rowdy Roddy Peeper. 
<laughs> it was obviously Ron Garvin that showed up and beat both JJ and uh, Ric Flair up. But yes, that 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 yeah. that's what I took as you know. Also, the other part of in the closet was also JJ doing a bit. Uh the long proud tradition of gimmicks like that. I think the the most well shot one of those uh, is the the cowboy switcheroo they do with. Remember when Lita lures Dean Malenko back to the hotel room? Lights go off, lights go back on, and the, and the parties are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think that's the only one of them where they've. I don't. I I still don't think it was a good segment. It was really trashy. But at the same time, I think the comic, the comedic timing of the lights off, lights on, were great. Yeah. Um, go on. No, no, I was going to say something. It doesn't matter. It's gone out of my head. Okay. <laughs> just leave that dead air in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will, yeah. Professional. I was just like, we were both being, for once, we were both being too polite. It's like, oh, he sounds like he has a good point. Uh, I, did, I, we didn't, I didn't. To, we just try to give each other the office. <laughs> um, the lads are super relieved because the bit was like, I figured you guys out. I know. No one else has signed like this. I know you're brothers so you need to sign as such and the two of them like sell being super relieved that he said brothers um and as they're signing it they try to get a raise and get completely no sold by jj that little bit at the end was fun where they tried to get a raise and he's like that yeah i think <laughs> what he chance. says oh, I, I can't hear you oh, yeah hearing aid isn't yeah it? yeah yeah great stuff um okay here's the thing right next segment is mean gene with hogan um Hudson pops huge on commentary for the shirt tear <laughs> during the entrance. Uh, and apart from the fact that Mean Gene absolutely knocked me out of my chair starting this segment by referencing the movie Eyes Wide Shut, which is in cinemas now. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about filthy perverts on this program? <laughs> Gene Okerlund. Tom Cruise? <laughs> Gene, yeah. Gene Okerlund is like going oh aristocratic sex parties that's my kind of movie um i think and maybe it's because the bar is so low since thunder started in 1998 i think this is one of the better hogan promos we've seen on the podcast um yeah because he's playing the hits yeah and 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 he's comfortable playing the hits He's playing the hits, but he's also, like, not rambling. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not just, like, going out to fill air. It's like he's literally got 60 seconds in which he has to hit the catchphrases and uh, talk about his opponent. And and plus, he he didn't have Bischoff in there leading him to kind of, like, um, indulge his kind of worst um, habits, whereas Gene will kind of lead him to something... Mm-hmm. Like himself and Gene had such r- easy rapport that like they've been doing it for fucking twenty years at this stage that yeah you know it was it was easy for Hogan to just kind of slip into that that manner that he's just he he can hit it and hit it on time and didn't have to for sure didn't have to kind of like you say ramble. Um, do you want okay. do you want to talk about the sound mixing here or do you want to leave it for later on because I uh, I thought it was real bad here. Do you want to do you want to do a quick mention of it, and we'll 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 mention it again later in the show as well. Yeah. So obviously on the network, Hogan comes out to the original NWO music. Yeah. Um, that's not what he comes out to on the show. He of course comes out to Jimi Hendrix. And yes. my God, is the sound mix fucking bad? 
And even if you didn't know the sound mix was bad, later on when he comes out for his match, Scott Hudson, you can hear him yell, ah, oh, the familiar strains of Voodoo Child. Yeah. Which I love that the network uh, didn't edit that line out as well. So it's like, it's just, there's just no care. Like I said, we, we've all in our heads thought that it's one intern in Stamford, very underpaid, having to find all these, and he doesn't succeed every time. But it, it, it's so funny that you hear... Hudson say that later on because I couldn't fucking hear Hudson or Brain at all when Hogan was coming out here. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, the sometimes they get a pretty good level for the theme music and you can still hear everything but I, I, I've i noticed it a lot lately where whoever's doing these dubs got lazy in 99. Mm. Um, um, but anyway. One, one other thing, the crowd were into Hogan. This, this yes. crowd in particular, I think maybe it's because it's a, a traditional WWF um, city, Chicago. Yeah. I think that kind of helps, but they're very mm-hmm. much into Hogan. Very much. And Hogan says this isn't his first trip around the block. He welcomes the challenge of Sid tonight. He says Sid will recognize that he is the man tonight. He has his mind, body, and spirit focused on Sturgis, though. After the largest arms in the world drop Sid one last time, he's aiming these guns at Big Sexy. He's the man. He's the champion. Simple, in, out, and he's done. Mm -hmm. This is when Hogan is at his best. Like you said, playing the hits and kept to time. Um, The worst ones of all were when the guy who should have been editing him down, Bischoff is just too busy licking his hole in the ring beside him and just letting him drone on for five, six minutes about shit all. Yeah, like li- li- um, like Bischoff would be in the ring literally starstruck looking at him. And I, I know some of it was an act, but there's times where you look at it and you go, how much of that was actually an act and how much was it? He yeah. just enamoured with Hogan. Yeah, yeah. It's very convenient that uh, the, the role he was supposed to play is so similar to how he actually felt about Hogan mm-hmm. in real life. Um, our next match, Lodi versus Norman Smiley. Uh, speaking of horrible audio mixes during these entrances, um, I'm noticing, though, week on week, every time we see him, Lee, bigger reactions for Norman Smiley. Yeah, Nor- Norman is getting over. Um, I believe this is his return from an injury. He's been gone for a couple of weeks at least. Um, yes. Because even, even like in my notes, I, obviously I know I was gone for a little bit, but... I said, like, it feels like forever since I've seen Norman. And then Hudson comes out and says, oh, Norman's return. So, yeah. Mm. One thing I absolutely did miss is one of our favorite moves that we see on this show. And that's the wind up smiley scoop slam. Smiley slam, yeah. Please, again, I say, start stealing this, wrestlers of the world. Like I said, that sham fucking Brian Myers does it. (laughs) God, let's not reopen that wound, shall Mm -hmm. we? Um, outside and Lodi gets launched into the rails pretty hard uh, the crowd is loud I will say I fucking love when wrestlers take that bump into the guardrail you know where they turn their body sideways yes. always looks good yeah. it's like a cartoon splat like yeah. you, you expect them to kind of go through the wall and there's just like the outline of the body yeah, yeah. Um. Le- uh, so Lenny mocks the wiggle which uh, distracts uh, Norman long enough for a sneak attack from Lodi Lenny rakes his eyes across the bottom rope uh, then in I know it wasn't his move at the time 
but it it actually personally hurt my feelings to see Lodi do the three amigos. What the fuck? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> is Lodi doing the triple vertical? Like, fucking hell! <laughs> As, Maybe like, I was, I was, Eddie I was, saw that and was like, hmm, that's interesting. I was watching this show on my own, and as soon as he does the first hip swivel to get up for the second suplex, I le- I audibly went, "No." <laughs> Uh, uh, Lodi has the heat for a while Which is absolutely mad Like he got way more of this match Than I would have thought For like how low The, the Lenny and Lodi act is On the totem pole uh, Smiley hits What might be The worst drop toe hold I've ever seen And I can't blame him for that Um, and, and this is a really messy finish Because he does that drop toe hold Rolls him up into like A rear naked choke Then just decides to Bail on it And then roll him up In a cradle and win yeah, I think he went for a Norman's Conquest and Lodi and himself kind of got lost positionally. So Norman was just like, fuck it, I'll roll him up. Mm-hmm. Um, Then Eric Bischoff is out to commentate on the next match. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you missed the true highlight of that match. Oh yeah, sorry. Lenny and Lodi decided to join Norman doing the big wiggle post-match. They did. Yes. And they got a, li- Everyone was a little bit too into it and Norman bailed. Yes, <laughs> he wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. The, the big wiggle is serious business in WCW, guys. Um, so yes, as I said, Bischoff is out, and then we see a video package for the next match that explains absolutely fucking nothing about why this match is happening. It's just like we were saying with Kieran that time: a series of disconnected gifs is how a lot of these video packages roll. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, it's not good. No, um, it it probably hypes you up a little bit if you know absolutely everything that's happening here but like you know do the Stan Lee rule every every comic book is someone's first comic book explain it a little more like a little bit of v, v, VO would do the job here thank you very much uh, our match for the control of WCW is up next it's Sting versus Ric Flair who is accompanied by Aaron Anderson and Asia uh, you gotta love how much WCW has beaten Sting down in two years that one he's coming out on the entrance ramp Two, he doesn't have a jacket. Three, he doesn't have a bat. Well, I, I mean, listen. Crucially, he is still very sad. <laughs> I mean, we discussed this. Sting has now learned that he can't wear a jacket to the ring because every time he does, he gets jumped. So this, this is this is good babyface lore. Sting has learned. Yeah. Um. Actually, speaking of um, speaking of Sting learning. Uh, we've seen this happen in the whole Ric Flair heel turn where Robinson is like his referee of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once again, this match is about to start with Charles Robinson as the referee. And before he gets a chance to ring the bell, Sting grabs him, hits him with a death drop. I popped big time for that. Uh, yeah, that that's like a real good, intelligent baby face move because uh, Robinson is in his face like poking him and whatever else. And literally as soon as he turns his back, Sting just grabs him. <laughs> It's fucking so yeah, good. It's like, it's like he hasn't rung the bell yet, stupid cunt. I'm gonna get him. Yeah, and <laughs> he did it. And Mickey J is like straight out, and he's now in charge. Yeah. And the other thing that was great about that, from a like construction of the match point of view, is now the bell rings and the crowd is hot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did, um, before we even get into the match, I really enjoyed this match. I don't know what your your take on it is, but I really liked this. You know what? I don't know if I'd be that strong, but I liked it well enough. You know what I mean? I I wasn't I, I I'm not I didn't come out of it raving about it, but I thought it was a good segment. I thought the crowd were hot for this. 
And yes, though they were. This is we've we've talked about this on the show plenty of times. Maybe it's just this one crowd. I don't know, but there's so many points on this show that it's like WCW if they had just got out of their own way and realized that the fans are still in the flare. They're still in the sting. They could have done things with these guys. And they might have torn things around. Yeah. I mean, they still, even though they don't know, they do know. Because, like, Sting versus Flair is something they keep coming back to until literally the final nitro. <laughs> literally the final match. Yeah. So, like, they knew what they had, but they just didn't intend on ever using it. Oh, it's so fucking, it's so frustrating. And, uh, like, one of my main points, like, halfway through this match is the crowd are so undeniably into these two as acts. And again, like that construction of the start of the match. So like, it's all a bit up in the air now that Flair doesn't have his his hand-picked man as the referee. And the move got the crowd up. And as well, after the bell, it starts off with absolute house of fire sting going hog fucking wild mm-hmm. on, uh, on Ric Flair. Um, he is all over him. Big press slam. Uh, Flair tries to fight back with a couple of chops and Sting is walking through the chops slams him again 10 punch huge count to 10 here from the crowd um, and then of course like it's it's Butlin's heel Flair so we get the classic mule kick to the dick for the heat um, but not too long uh, after that Sting starts stinging up uh, in, in his hubris Ric Flair thinks he got away from Sting uh, during his comeback but he turns around and Sting, and I think this this probably got you, uh, Lee, because I know you were a young Stinger. Uh, he turns around into Sting doing the old Stinger flex pose. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that, that got me. Literally, like I say, like Flair. I think Flair gets one offensive move, and he starts celebrating, and he turns around, and like Sting's already on his feet. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's so good. I I just, I really enjoyed this. Maybe it was a hit of nostalgia at the right time. I don't know, but I thought this was so good. Uh, big superplex uh, from Sting. Aaron pulls the ref out. Sting confronts Aaron, but Sid comes from behind, knocks out Sting. Um, the crowd, quite logically at this point, cr- chants for Hogan, mm-hmm. but nothing happens. <laughs> Then uh, Flair starts doing the usual, working the legs to set up the figure four. Sting is just hobbling and wobbling until in very Sting style, he just isn't anymore. (laughs) Starts no-selling everything, walking through more chops, whips Flair into the corner. He goes for the splash, but the wily veteran Flair just sticks an elbow up to cut him off. Uh, Flair does his usual go up the top and get thrown off. Um, Clotheslines from Sting... Big stinger splash, but the ref is pulled in and he's down. Then Sting takes down Arn. Asia comes in. Sting continues his trend of stinger splashing women by uh, stinger splashing Asia, which gets the biggest pop of the night so far. It and did. Gives Eric yeah. Bischoff a shattering orgasm on commentary. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, the crowd, like the last couple of crowds, are way too into Sting, Stinger Splashing Asia. Um, yeah, not good. <laughs> no, not great. Um, the Scorpion Deathlock is in, but there's no ref. Uh, Eric comes in to taunt Flair, 
and then says ring the bell. So Sting wins, I guess, and he now has control of uh, WCW. But Sid comes out again, power bombs Eric to fucking bits. I have to say, fair play to Eric on this one. He took a nasty looking power bomb, and then Hogan comes out oh, and chases. Okay, the so off. I wasn't the only one that noticed that Eric Bischoff landed right on his fucking shoulder, yeah. Yeah, yeah, neck and shoulders. Yeah, it was fucking nasty looking. Yeah. Um. So fair play to him on that. But I did find it very funny that he was able to decide that Flair had tapped out and ring the bell. Even though it had been stated quite clearly by Scott Hudson, not one segment previous, that Eric Bischoff had no power anymore. Yeah, but also they established, and I'm going to give them credit here. Was it last week or the week before that Bischoff walked in and gave Kidman a win? Yeah, but he also had no power then. So what you're giving them credit for is listen. We, we know there's ignoring reality. We know there's like 15 people in charge of WCW. Yeah, I I just love that he was able. He with no power was able to decide the winner of a winner takes control of the company match. It's great. I love WCW man. Have they started calling him like an executive producer or something at this stage? Like, I'm just trying to think of of it. something. They're like they're giving him some title. Yeah, he's in a very non-specified position right now. He's grey-haired babyface um, Eric Bischoff now at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, um, and now this, this I will be, as much as we enjoyed that last match, this fucking fell off a cliff. I, 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 can't, I don't know how much longer I can do this with Rick Steiner. He's so fucking this is, bad. Do you know what? It would be easier to tolerate were it not for the fact that in the fullness of 2023, we know for a fact he's an awful man. Yeah, and it's not the, even doing like awe and hindsight thing. It's it's like this Rick Steiner singles push has fucking stunk. Yeah. He's yet to have the a good singles match. push is bad. The singles push is bad. The matches are bad. Then you layer into the fact that like by the end of WCW, we all knew he was a fucking massive asshole to people. Mm-hmm. And then in 2023, we know that he's a massive asshole yeah. uh, in other ways, which I won't get into because he doesn't deserve the oxygen. Um, But this match fucking blew. And look, you knew it was going to. It's Rick Steiner and Horace. Like my first line in my notes is, Jesus. <laughs> So it wasn't going to be good. Did you enjoy the person who's obviously sat next to the camera camera operator barking very loudly and obnoxiously for Rick Steiner's entire entrance? Yes. That was... Uh, you want to talk about uh, audio and production stuff? That was obnoxious. Yeah, it was so fucking bad. Um, uh, speaking of obnoxious, Horace's god-awful airbrushed skull on the siglet. You are not stone cold, my friend. <laughs> Is it any worse than Rick's plain black singlet? Which is, I'm guessing, to signify that he's a heel. Yes, I guess. He's evil. Uh, And of course, this match between, you know, uh, the television champion who's nasty and beats people up and stiffs them starts with a collar and elbow tie-up. That's exactly what you want to see these two wrestlers do. Uh, We just have... It's the usual Rick Steiner match at this point. He's boringly roughing him up. I, I tweeted this. I was like, I have never seen anyone with a talent so rare as Rick Steiner's talent for legitimately stiffing dudes constantly in matches and yet no one gives a fuck. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> like, I, think, I think you're pretty fucking spot on actually yeah because normally if somebody gets stiffed in a match the crowd will sit up and take notice whereas nobody gives a fuck here yeah um the one thing i i like so i went back and forth on this, this is the one other spot that i i really like wrote down in detail is that horace gets a chair and then he hits him three times yes he hits he bonks him pathetically on the head then absolutely readjusts his spine with the second one and then does another really shithead bonk on the head and i couldn't tell because it's horace what percentage i'm going to put on him being one of the worst wrestlers i've ever seen and not being able to throw a chair and how much was him during the headshots remembering that this is rick steiner and he might actually physically assault me 50-50 I suppose like it's yeah. I think it could be a little bit of a little bit of B on that one Um, I don't think as much power as the Steiners had at this point and had no fear of being fired Um, I still don't think they would have went to the to the degree of fucking up Hulk Hogan's nephew yeah but that's true but also I'm I'm genuinely not sure how much Hulk Hogan likes his nephew Um. <laughs> Just based on the level that Horace Hogan is at for most of his Do you know life. what? You're probably right, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he rolls him back into the ring, but out comes Nash, who just destroys him, throws him into a step, uh, Steiner Bulldog and a win. Uh, a smirk is exchanged between Nash and Steiner, just in case you thought he was just out to attack Horace. Um, so I guess Nash is just full-blown heel now. What the fuck? He was a face a week ago. Yeah. But very much he's portrayed on this show as the heel, right? Oh, he's a heel. He's like he's literally aligned with the Steiners now. Yeah. Like, it, it makes no sense. The guy was... Like, they they had set up the Goldberg and Nash alliance, which they've now just gone back on. Um, Because re- remember that when that got a really big pop? When Goldberg saved Nash and Nash saves Goldberg? Yeah. And now, Kevin Nash is just a heel. Because. Yeah. Just because. I mean, I get it from Nash's point of view again. He's trying to get out of the way of, like, being tarred with the Hogan brush. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't want to be Hogan's little friend again. Yeah. Get that. But anyway. Uh, so that match, uh, again, is over. Uh, Steiner wins. Uh, next up, Nitro Girls again. Uh, then we have Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis. Now, I'm going to take a big sip of water for the working manly, but uh, you uh, tell the listeners here what you thought of Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis. I don't have a lot of notes for this one. I don't have a lot of notes. Um, I thought it started out as a hot match. I think it... It's one of these matches, like, pe- people love clipping Nitro matches and comparing it to wrestling in 2023. Um, I mean, this match got Less than five minutes, right? Um, yeah. And there was some good moves. And I mean, Ed, like Psycho sends Eddie fucking nearly whole body forced into the ropes off a monkey flip. Um, I think everything they did, like we've talked about this before, especially with the cruisers, like the, the experienced cruisers, um, Eddie and Psycho obviously being two of the main ones. Everything they do has a snap and a, like a real, like everything moves at a clip compared to everybody else on the show. Mm-hmm. And it was good work, but it also left me a bit 
a bit underwhelmed because the match never quite moved up into the next gear i thought um yeah i would agree it's like a lot left on the table for for what these guys could and do. that's fine when you see what they were setting up but again i don't think they ever paid off um mm. like i'm not I, i'm like you i didn't take a lot of notes so i'm not gonna go move by move um eddie does like a helicopter spin neck breaker which i think scott tries to say is like a gory guerrero bomb uh, he caught it, it has now the official name apparently of the gory special 2000 yes, the gory special 2000 yeah um and then eddie wins with the frog splash um every time i see eddie do the frog splash i'm just like man nobody can do it like he can no. I, like it, it's better than rvds it's better than fucking delos yeah. it's uh, RV, rvds is so different though like it's almost like a completely different move yeah R- rvds is I mean? more of a showman's move which is it, it fits rvd um, yeah. But man, I wish somebody would do the frog splash with the velocity that Eddie did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Eddie Eddie wins. Uh, Viano four and La Parca or yeah La Parca. I have L A Park. Yeah, La Parca, yeah. I have L A Park written down, which confused me for a second. Huh? Um, La Parca run in, and Dave, do you know for sure it was Viano four? Just I know you you like to. Confuse oh, here me. he is now. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I know what you're like with your Mexican wrestlers. It can get a bit confused. Oh, you, you, you and JR can get a bit confused. Um, they run in and attack Eddie, and Ray makes a save. And Ray and Eddie, to a big pop, shake hands. So Eddie yeah. and Ray still have that cachet with the fans at this point. So this is another duo on this show where you're like, man, if only they could have done something with these two. Anyway. I know, right? <laughs> Fucking hell. And like it's a, do you know what I mean? It's a thing that, again, WWE were able to make much more money on a few years later. And it's funny, like literally the next segment, the crowd are fucking baying for something else to return. Yeah. (sighs) Like they had the pieces, they just didn't know what to fucking do. There's like loads of things they had that they never put together and then loads of things that they did put together that for some reason they just never pulled apart. Like, for example, the next segment, which was the black and white locker room talk. Yeah, so um, Steve, which Steve, Stevie wants to take out the triad and he asks Brian Adams and Vince to have his back. Now, why you to ask those two specifically? Yeah. I, I found two things very funny about this. One, that this segment existed reminded you that, hey, Horace has three buddies that weren't our saving him. And because they had to acknowledge that the Horace match had happened, Stevie yells off camera to the bathroom, presumably, where Horace is and goes, hey, you all right, man? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they didn't care enough about him to run out, but they know that he's in there in pain. So no, yeah, nobody uh, likes Horace, apparently. Yeah, well, rightfully so. Uh, the The tone of this is them being suspicious of Harlem Heat are back together or not. So they're doing the, the long tease on what's happening with Harlem Heat. Um, and he says, we'll talk about it later after the match. Singles match, Canyon versus Stevie Ray. Um, yeah, not fucking much going on here. <laughs> no, I mean, the match is notable for like the pre-match where the triad now have their stick down to a T, I think. Um, yeah. they're, they're very much in lockstep with each other and I think they're working really well as a trio um, yeah. but the match itself is a Stevie Ray match and it's just it's not good no um, yeah the, the anger Stevie Ray 
uh, coming out by just doing a series of Stevie's Mama's So Fat jokes. Um, timeless in front of American wrestling crowds, I guess. Uh, that kind of shit. Uh, yeah, nothing really happens. Stevie fights off triad interference long enough to hit a slapjack. And for a guy who managed to figure out the best way ever to get caught up in the ropes and miss a three count. There is a weird miss time on them trying to get in the ring to like miss the timing on this pin. Yeah, because Bammer like, and DDP where, are in the ring for the, where the referee literally counts one and then they just stand looking for two seconds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they really miss time that. Uh, they beat him down after the three count. Um, Stevie took... I think I can say, without fear of contradiction, the worst flatliner bump in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, that's fair. He proper, like, he made, do you know the way, like, the running joke is that Kane never bumped flat, he always bumped onto his knees? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, this made Kane look like he was bumping like Darby Allen. <laughs> <laughs> You're not far off, like, he, he literally barely went down with, with Canyon. It's it's that whole remember, remember people like remember, you went down in treacle. Remember like people used to take the piss out of Dolph Ziggler for doing the the zigzag, and he was the one taking the brunt of the move. Yeah, it was very much Canyon falling to the ground and Stevie gone. Oh, I suppose I'll go down as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess. Um, Book so Booker runs in, makes a save, and nearly slips doing a fucking sidekick. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, you want to talk about like the difference in levels in terms of who looked like a superstar and who didn't in this segment? Book, yeah, man. Like, I know we're flogging a dead horse here, but come on. Like, yep, yeah, but it still takes them a year. Yeah. Ho-hum. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, we get a What Up Match uh, music video, and then fucking... Arliss is here. Okay, so somebody was it Webcon tried to warn us about this and told yes, and Webcon actually as we were recording this uh, dropped an image of the WCW wrestlers that guest starred on Arliss because there's a WCW crossover episode happening uh, on the next Arliss episode. Okay, right. So Arliss uh, for a lot of people uh, who don't know because I, I think this is one of those it's an HBO show that ran for a surprisingly long time when I looked it up that never really traveled outside of America in terms of cultural impact Um, it ran for seven years and I never really heard I think I've heard the name Arliss referenced by people but I've never known what it is and I've never seen an episode no I, I had um, I had no idea what it was I like literally before we started recording I was like did you look up what Arliss is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because so this is the eponymous Arliss, a fictional character showing up in character at scouting WCW talent in this segment. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's just what we've got to put up with now on this uh, f- for this next match, which is uh, Randy Savage versus Billy Kidman, which is so fucking weird. Um, what, what? It's safe to say, Lee, uh, Randy Savage blew the entire pyro budget. <laughs> for the show <laughs> yeah the, it's a it's a lot of pyro for macho um we went from rockford illinois to fucking vietnam <laughs> in about four seconds um i know we've talked about this before but my god is macho's gear fucking phenomenal like he puts the rest <laughs> of this fucking company to shame i don't care 
Like he comes out yeah. with it's like still the same kind of shiny black like the diamantes on his gear on his mm. black gear but the pictures that's on the front and the back of his top of himself and what I'm assuming is Gorgeous George but actually looks like uh, Debbie Harry yeah is fucking phenomenal I love like I I wish any other wrestler cared about their fucking appearance the way Macho Man did yeah yeah he really like even though he's kind of like you know I know he was just WCW champion but you also at the same time couldn't call him one of the the top acts in the company no on a consistent basis like I I think it very much kind of suited um suited them to heat him up for a little while and then you know bring him back down to earth I guess Uh, like I'm Every time I watch one of these shows and I see Macho with Team Madness, like uh, Medusa, Mona and Gorgeous George, I'm like, man, this is a gimmick that somebody needs to bring back. Like, just a fucking badass wrestler surrounded by women. Like, it, like it, yeah. it's a timeless thing. With, with a, 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 a loose cannon heavy as well. Yeah, like, just put fucking Big Bill with, with somebody. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's just... I'm like, look, like I say, Macho is not good at this point. He's pretty washed, but mm. man, is he just he just screams there. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, so I I did appreciate that. Like, not one minute into this match, Arliss buries pretty much the entirety of WCW and says says Dennis Rodman is their savior. And like, we knew Dennis Rodman was coming back, but like, if you didn't, then you were just tuning in. You're hearing this guy just say, no, everybody in this company is dog shit. But randomly, Dennis Rodman is actually good. Yeah. If they didn't tell you at the top of the show that Rodman was coming onto the show. And then you're just hearing this random guy that's never been on the show before going, man, that Dennis Rodman is the real savior of WCW. You'd be like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. It's like Art Donovan-esque. Where it's just like, saved. What, why, why, is there, yeah, why the is there a guy screaming about Dennis Rodman? Yeah, and look, we're going to have plenty more opportunities over the next couple of years to talk about people who go on live mics in WCW and openly talk about how shit the company mm-hmm. is. Uh, but so this is like very low on that totem pole, but still. Uh, Randy Savage says Nash stole his belt last week. He's a dead man. Also then just announces he's running for president very casually, which just every wrestler in the world seems to be doing at the moment. So Hogan already did it. I'm pretty sure at this time, Jesse Ventura is heavily hinting that he might um, because he he is governor at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, because he's about to do SummerSlam. Yeah, he does SummerSlam in '99 as governor, and I think but was it not 2004 he did the I'm running for president thing. Oh, was it 2004 was his run? Okay. Um, God, that's a real whoever wins we lose <laughs> sort of scenario. Like I get, I guess, I guess Jesse Ventura is the best of the, the three <laughs> options there. <laughs> Is there an option where it's just no? <laughs> He'll have very strong Bigfoot policies, but uh, 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 anything I else, think that'd just sure. be my vote would just be no. Just to, 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 to trade yeah. him just right no. Yeah, yeah. Um. So 
Uh, pretty much as soon as Kidman gets the better of him, Savage tries to use a chair. Ref says no. Savage deliberately positions himself within the shot of Arliss, which I thought was what a worker this guy is, because he knows all the shots for USA Today or whatever else are all going to have Randy Savage in frame mm-hmm. with Arliss. Uh, back in the ring, but Kidman backdrops him right back out of the ring. Kidman goes to follow, but Savage uses George as a human shield, and then Miss Madness attacks him from behind. Savage sees the opportunity and he gets on top of Kidman, uh, splaying him on the announce table in front of Arliss and choking him. Uh, back in, Savage nearly gets rolled up, which he freaks out at, hits a back elbow uh, to Kidman's head. Uh, Miss Madness goes for the drop kick, hits Savage. Um, <laughs> Cairo Kidman goes for a stratisfaction, gets a near fall. <laughs> and what what did you think of, uh, I think it's both Bobby and Scott saying, uh, Mona is not going to be, uh, or Savage is the, not going to be too happy with Mona backstage later on for missing the dropkick. And just like when you're literally, yeah. what, three weeks removed from yeah, from that segment. Yeah. Sent for the man. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not great. No, it's not great, is it? You'd think they would have learned, but they haven't. I mean, that's what Savage said as well, apparently, um, so. Yeah, yeah. When is, um... At what stage? Is it 99 as well that they do the domestic violence angle in uh Oh, WWF? yeah, the, 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 the beaver cleavage thing, isn't it? Where it's like, first of all, they yeah. do the incest thing, and then it's like, oh, well, no, she's actually my girlfriend, and then... <laughs> I love that, like, oh, shit, we've done an incest angle. That's probably bad. Let's just pivot into a bit of domestic Yeah, and then it turns into uh, their boyfriend, girlfriend, and he's beating her up. And then it turns into, yeah. oh, no, she's a liar, and the tag team reforms. And the crowd yep. go fucking mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nineteen ninety nine. Everyone, the headbangers. People cheered for yeah. that shit to get the headbangers back together. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> headbangers one lasting cultural impact, and that's the Rock promo about going to win the Royal Rumble in two thousand. Was like he's he's worried about two people, and it's the first is headbanger <laughs> mosh, <laughs> the second is Crash Holly. <laughs> Uh, anyway. When the rock hit, he mm-hmm. hit, didn't he? Um, so, uh, yeah, the Stratisfaction is dead for a near fall. <laughs> Savage then hits a big old dirty looking pile driver and kills Kidman stone <laughs> dead with it. Um, yes, Savage does a fucking great pile driver. Yeah. Um, a really underrated in the, 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 the history of uh, uh, wrestlers doing pile drivers. Like, because he's done a good few now. Uh, in this heel run, and they all look like fucking. But dead. you know what's great is he does the pole driver, and and Kidman's very clearly dead. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can't emphasize it all. Like, how like dead he, he, he is he's literally dead. Like he's not moving. Um, <laughs> he, does, he doesn't so much as blink for the rest. If of we didn't segment. know that he collapsed in Chavo Guerrero's face in two thousand two, we would have assumed that he just never came back from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah no so so Kidman's very clearly like not breathing and Savage still has to pick him up to do a scoop slam set up the elbow <laughs> yeah oh, it's like it's the most superfluous scoop slam in the history of wrestling because he was already in position for the elbow <laughs> it's just like he's killed him he's dead oh no scoop slam <laughs> yeah scoop slam and then the elbow and then he pulls him up at two. Oh, I, I loved it I think the, the two elbows that Savage hits here are probably the best two elbows he's hit since he's come back he fucking yeah. Then Arliss is obviously Ar- Arliss is obviously being told that the the run in is happening soon because he's uh, 
he's really pushing Savage versus Rod, like randomly going like booking Savage versus Rodman, even though Rodman hasn't mm-hmm. shown up yet. Uh, so, like you said, another elbow, just unbelievable. Um, Rodman comes out. Rodman is wearing a tremendous trench coat, a feather boa, and a fedora. <laughs> just what? What again? Like. The second straight segment, pretty much, where the person who runs out at the end looks like the biggest star in the fucking situation. Um, and I have to say, Rodman gets a fucking huge reaction. Huge reaction. Kills <laughs> Savage stone dead with his handbag. <laughs> That's what I have here. He said he decks Savage, and I mean the fucking tud. And I'm like, is it a purse? <laughs> I don't like. I don't know what it is he hits him with, but it fucking sounds like a hurt. I rewound it. Is it's it a handbag? handbag. I'm certain of it. I'm he certain of it. He fucking dead. Like, yeah. Savage takes a hell of a bump off. Oh, yeah. it's so good. He ne- like, he's one step short of doing the Rikishi inside-out bump <laughs> from this thing to the back of the head. So now Arliss is in and he's celebrating like crazy. Mean Gene comes in. Uh, Arliss says, Rodman could be the biggest star in WCW, so don't blow it. Uh, Savage spits at Rodman, but he gets pulled away. This crowd again, hot for this. Arliss lays down the challenge, even though, like, it is not established that he speaks on behalf of Dennis Rodman. He says, you versus Rodman at the pay-per-view. Um, Tanay and Tony then come out with mics, at which point I had written in my notes, they were here the whole time, what the fuck? Um, the thing about this, though, is because you've got people following people around with house microphones, Lee, it sounds it very does. bad. Um you're only getting half of what anybody says. And Rodman says. doesn't speak until like the very end of the segment, which I would have thought the whole point yeah. of was Rodman's a very good um, public speaker. Like, there's no reason he can't. Yeah. Like, he's cut promos before. But yeah. obviously he just didn't want to tonight. Yeah, they're always letting celebrities who are bad at this uh, cut promos, but for some reason not Dennis Rodman. Um, and the the big end to this whole schmoz is Medusa shows up. We, we didn't mention that Medusa wasn't ringside with Team Madness. Um, she shows up and starts going after Miss Madness. Yeah. So she turns on Miss Madness. Uh, Scott Hudson really quickly tries to get it. Like, oh, oh, we saw this last week on Nitro that there was tension rising between did, the two of them. Did we? Just in case you thought it was completely random. Apparently. I wasn't <laughs> fucking watching it. Um... So this is kind of like the end of this match is where like you have a couple of back-to-back hot segments because this was great. Um, the end of this, the match not really that great. Um, then we get a, a Conan Vampiro replay from last week before we have Conan Vampiro 2. Um, I laughed that Conan called Vamp a punk Mark Buster during his promo. Uh, we get a little bit more, Lee. We're, get, we're inching closer to Cool Vampiro because now he has cool lighting. I was just going to say, he has really good cool lighting for his entrance, but the lighting is so dark that we miss Vampiro slapping the shit out of Conan, or uh, Conan slapping the shit out of uh, Vamp yeah. to start. He's also, he's also got slightly nicer mm-hmm. tights. Um, huge slap starts. All Vamp early. He's super aggressive. Uh, Conan, one of the one of the guiltiest parties I've ever seen at loudly calling spots in the ring, screams, "Slam me, Adam!" Uh, Conan mounts a comeback with a mule kick, a face buster, and a clothesline to the outside. As he begins to mount his comeback, though, Lee, the insane clown posse arrive yeah, on yeah, the scene. Do. 
Um, we'll pause because somebody else is here as well. We will mention that in a second. I need I need to make I don't know if this is a controversial take or not. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. But in in a wrestling context exclusively, I'm kind of into we've talked ICP. about this. The yeah. ICP in a wrestling context are fucking. They bring something to the table. There's something about them. Yeah, they're they're not no. good. But they're kind but of it's kind of cool well. that you have these two fucking idiots who are willing to go in there and do a fucking moonsault and a guillotine leg drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But speaking of which, they beat Conan down. Huge leg drop from Shaggy yep. Two Dope. At which point, Scott Hudson and I simultaneously realize fucking Raven's yeah, apparently there. apparently Raven's been on the apron the whole time. Yeah. Um... I wouldn't hold my breath on this because Raven is gone mm-hmm. in a month. Uh, we'll talk about that in a month when he leaves because it's one of the great, if you've never heard it, I think we've alluded to it before. It is one of the greatest somebody, like it's right up there with um, with Brian Pillman in this same company in terms of legendary stories of how men got out yeah, of their contracts. It, we'll we'll talk about it on the, on the night it happens, but the backstory to Raven leaving WCW, if you've never heard it, is fucking top notch. Yeah. Um, Ray comes in to help his boy, gets powerbombed to absolute pieces by Vamp, and then Violent J hits a moonsault. Um, Vampiro hits a filthy Michinoku driver it's, on Ray as well. It's as the nail in the break. coffin, Dave. Get it, Ray? Nail in the coffin, yes, true. Uh, and now we have the formation of a short-lived but very coolly named stable. The who have we just seen the debut of? Oh, it's a uh, oh, fuck. What's their name? The, the Deadpool. Deadpool. Yes, that's right. Sorry, I was I was thinking Dark Carnival, but that's two thousand. Yes. Yeah. That's later. Uh, yeah. Yes, the Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, so now we have uh, Vampiro associated with people who wear black and white face paint. So fingers crossed, eh? It's coming. Uh, it's, it's coming, Dave. It's that, coming. We're that bit closer. I know. I know. Um, so then we get a flashback to Savage losing the belt, and then we get a tag team match: Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn versus West Texas Redneck members Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig. Um, I want everybody at home to save us the hassle of actually talking about the moves in this match league because i don't know do you do you have many notes about the actual match part no of this it was segment? two heel teams going against each other yeah imagine in your head a tag match where it's clearly been cut for time and everyone knows there's a post-segment ma- a part that they have to mm-hmm. rush to that's how this match C- plays can out. I, can i say benoit and saturn have been behaving more and more heelish in the past what three weeks four weeks Yes, they're still officially baby faces. And post match, they're even more baby faces. Yes, to me. <laughs> anyway. No, but like the revolution are supposed to be baby faces at this point. Yes. So, yes. why the fuck have they been acting heelish for the past fucking three weeks? Like literally, like one of their big well, spots they- is to double snot on somebody. Yeah, yeah. But they have been so they are being pushed as baby faces. Their backstage segments and who they're feuding with makes them baby faces but the psychology of their matches the oh yeah they're like, they're like ultra aggressive yeah. heels in the ring yeah but they yes, rock they do. as well and the, the maybe the one note i had about the actual wrestling that i want to mention in this is that um 
uh, for me, Perry Saturn, an all-time top 10 hot tag yeah, guy. 100%. Um, he's there, definitely there, on my list Fucking there's one point where tag. he literally just powers Barry Windham over for a suplex yeah yeah just, like, like, I don't it. know if Windham was sandbagging him or he just kind of went up too early but you can see Saturn was just like no you're going now and that's it uh, the lads the, the West Texas Rednecks run in for the DQ Malenko comes out to help which doesn't really help that much and then we have it Lee yeah Shane Shane Douglas the franchise himself bright yellow top yeah. How are we kind of we kind of started talking about him, um, uh, and how into Shane Douglas <laughs> I am. Um, is this is this? Are you excited about this? I can remember being excited for the revolution in real time. Yeah. Because, like, like, mm-hmm. as I've discussed on the show before, like, I was in and out of 1999 WCW. I remember bits and bobs. And, obviously, yeah. Benoit, Saturn, and Belenko were three guys that I was very into. I, I've always been into those type of, those wrestlers, and Benoit and Saturn, like, yeah, hell yeah, this is a fucking team I can get behind. Belenko's associated with them long-term. That's cool. And then when Douglas comes in and kind of cements it as, oh, you know, we're going to take over and settings right in WCW was like yeah yeah fucking I'm into this Douglas mm-hmm. as an act uh, I don't know um, do, do you know the comparison I'd make Lee something we've said before on the show and a school of thought that uh, was pioneered by one Garrett Kidney I see Shane Douglas in a very similar light to the way I think Jeff Jarrett should be viewed is that the the further he is away from the top of the card, the more entertaining he is. He is a very solid mid-card dickbag act. I, I think that's pretty accurate, yeah. Like, if, if you consider... I know you you haven't seen a ton of ECW, but, like, when he was, like, TV champion, Shane Douglas kind of lower down the card, he was, like, a, a really hateable heel. But as he ascended and became the face of the company in like 97, 98, he kind of became unbearable. And he needed this kind of change of scenery. And I get it. He was a name to be brought in. I just, I don't know. It's it's just, your mileage can vary on it. Like, mm. I think he's a good guy to put, to put with Saturn, Benoit and Malenko. Because yeah. he is more of a promo guy than a wrestling guy. That's yeah. That's I think it's interesting the contrast that like he is definitely a step or more behind these guys wrestling wise, but in terms of like having a mouthpiece for that group, miles it's ahead of the three. Like of them. I know it, it's Punk's term, but he's the he is the voice of the voiceless because these guys can't cut promos. So let's put a, yeah. a really good promo guy with them. It. Which is very unlike WCW, who would normally just like, no, let's just keep fucking getting these guys to cut awkward it's promos. It's just unfortunate that within a week, we're already getting to Dick Flair. Yeah. Yeah. And he does mention this in his promo. Mm-hmm. So he said he cleans house. Atomic. Uh, oh, Hennig, by the way, another all timer atomic bo- uh, yeah. drop bump. He takes an atro- atomic drop and in one smooth motion bumps over the top rope to the floor, Tenny, disappears he's forever. So good. Even even at this point when he's watched, he's still so yeah. good. Yeah. 
so Shane Douglas says, starting tonight, things are going to change. Uh, if someone tries to hold you down, you stand in front of them, bash their head in with a stop sign and take your spot back. There's a cancer here in WCW, and we all know who I'm talking about, Flair. Uh, starting tonight, we're taking out the cancer. Um, which is weird. The, the phrasing of that last sentence was like, oh, are they, are they going to show up again before the end of the show? Like it was a promise to start tonight. I, I think it was more of a starting now. It should have been instead of starting tonight. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just maybe a little bit overexcited. Mm-hmm. wasn't thinking of his verbiage. Uh, one more Nitro Girls segment. They've really thinned down the Nitro Girls segments on this. Like, there are definitely times we've done Nitros where there have been, like, five and six of these. And I think this was three. Yeah, and did, did is it me or did, did uh, Hudson say earlier on the show that they have a Nitro Girls pay-per-view thing coming up? Oh, do they? I think I, it might have been the second Nitro Girls segment. And he was like, oh, yeah, on pay-per-view they'll have mm-hmm. something. So maybe... Maybe if any of our American listeners want to recall, um, was there a Nitro Girls event on pay-per-view in the 1999? Does seem like a thing that they would have tried to cash in on. It Like, you remember, like, the, the WWE divas used to have those fucking, like, special videos and shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, like the the WWF divas undressed. Yeah. I remember that like being the most like lewd voiceover on a commercial <laughs> during a pay per view I'd ever heard. Yeah, and they'd always like literally you you'd buy a DVD and like it'd be the first four minutes would be just like fucking the divas yeah. in fucking Cabo or wherever the fuck. And yeah, and it was fucking unskippable yes. as well yeah. on the DVD. So like you couldn't fire up a you couldn't for the first time fire up a wrestling DVD if the family were around because it's like oh fuck I'm not explaining my way <laughs> I out of this one. Mention this part of the show, but I literally oh I must have been watching some DVD from like 2002 or 2003, an event from then, not and uh, and like that was like the WWE divas do wherever the fuck. I mean, that came into the room. He was like, what? What, what the <laughs> that, fuck are you what watching? The, that's what it was, was like, It's a wrestling DVD, I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> was he filled with a mixture of, like, shock and pride? I, I, I don't know. He just kind of left the room going, all right, okay. <laughs> I'm just not going to ask no. him ever again. <laughs> it just happened to be like he was literally walking by the room at that one specific, like you said, the very heavy-breathed WWE Divas do fucking wherever the fuck. <laughs> yeah Um, our main event WCW World Heavyweight title Hulk Hogan defends against Sid Vicious Um, this is the bit where Hudson loudly proclaims that Voodoo Child is playing this is your opportunity Lee uh, do you want to get a final burial in on the sound mix yeah because again like Hogan comes out to the the NWO music and I don't know maybe it's fucking f- network fatigue but I can't help but feel WWE and their fucking editing is just ruining wrestling history. Um, maybe, it, maybe from a class price, it's not viable to have these licensed um songs on the network. I don't know. I don't care. I think they get so much fucking money. Surely they could pay to have these things on the network. Like it's not gonna cost them. I don't think it's going to cost them into the millions to do it. I don't know for sure, but that's just my assumption. I hate that they edit these shows so, so much. You're you're losing authentic fan reactions. 
you're losing the whole feel of the shows like even if you're going to edit out the like the licensed music you can do it better you have to be able to do just, it better and i worry that they've done so much editing that they've lost like they don't have any more original copies of these shows and like they're just gone and and i i hate that that's a possibility and i really hope that people out there have these shows with the original music and like just like even jimmy hearts like i know i know a lot of it sound like stuff and they're afraid of being sued but like somebody like ddp his entire run has been whitewashed to a certain degree because wwe won't use the self i5 music and it, you lose, like, I know the whole thing is, oh, fans were conditioned to entrances and finishers and pops for that. But, like, it does add so much to to the the viewing of these shows. Yeah. Well, look, do you remember, do you know what a, a great example is uh, for people that maybe don't get the WCW nostalgia like you and I have is... Remember for the first couple of years on the network, My Way was edited mm-hmm. out of X7. And it was so destructive to like people's enjoyment of the greatest hype video of all time that company ever did that they just got yeah, it back. They, they, they've obviously struck a deal with whoever owns Limp Bizkit's fucking Limp Bizkit. library. Oh, Fred Durst. And, uh, obviously. Like, <laughs> yeah. like we have My Way on the network now. <laughs> Like, Dave's after. I can't mention Fred Durst without doing the <laughs> um, So we have my way on the network. We have Roland for every Undertaker entrance up to a certain point. Um, Kid Rock is yep. obviously WWE's favorite musician, so his stuff is still on there. Um, but it's just like to me, we're losing wrestling history because. These shows are so edited, and I hate it. And, and I, I am legit starting to hate it at this point because I don't know. I think as a viewer, you lose so much. Just like the fucking sound mixing, yeah. like you said. I don't know if you're gonna do it, do it well. And they just don't give a yeah. fuck. And I hate that they they control so much wrestling history, and they just don't fucking care. Yeah. That's that's the part that like whatever about somebody owning all that wrestling history like if it was lovingly archived and restored like that would be one thing but it's absolutely not <laughs> it's absolutely not and that makes me sad um speaking of things that makes me sadly while you're in a burying mood this main event fucking sucked yeah it was very basic fucking heel seed Hogan comeback I mean, you don't expect the world to fucking... You, you're not expecting fucking top-notch wrestling from these two. But even still, I don't know. I, I was a bit disappointed in what they came up with. Um, You know what I love, Lee? Is when someone spends three quarters of a match working a leg and then decides to capitalize on working that leg by applying a cobra clutch. <laughs> Why the fuck? First of all, why is Sid working a leg? Yeah, why is why are Sid Vicious and Hulk Hogan 
doing yeah, a why, why are they having match? a leg match? And second of all, why the fuck? Who? Who had the idea that Sid Vicious should be doing a Cobra clutch? Yeah. Now, layers and layers of now, bad Now, I will say, the fans were into it. The, the stuff was getting a reaction. But I don't know if you noticed this. The fans were constantly looking at the entranceway. They've been so yeah. conditioned at this point to expect a main event to have a schmoz finish. And they, I mean, look, they weren't disappointed on, on this occasion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we were. Man, like, I've mentioned it on this show. Booker T and Stevie as Harlem Heat got a reaction. Sting and Flair yeah. got a reaction. Hogan in his promo got a reaction. Sid in his promo yeah. got a reaction. They had the pieces here. Eddie and Ray, Douglas and the Revolution. These like all these things got a reaction. This was either a really good fucking crowd, or this is stuff they could have built off. And we haven't even got to the biggest pop of the fucking show. Yep. Yep. Um, so I'm not gonna go like there was a bit where I thought boring chants were breaking out, but uh, it, I'm pretty sure it was the start of mild Hogan chants <laughs> that then grew. Um, it's really funny that like um, <laughs> like maybe two minutes in, Sid does like Sid is doing these kicks to the leg, and they're like some of the worst kicks I've ever seen. God bless, like we love Sid for what mm-hmm. Sid is, but like Sid's throwing these kicks, it is bad. He can throw a big boot. Brilliant. But uh, no. No, not with the kicks. They looked really, like, so awkward. Draft on roller skates shit. Um, and he throws, like, two of the lightest kicks you've ever seen to the knee. And Hogan is absolutely fucked. Uh, <laughs> That's been the main tread in any Hogan match for the last year. Is Hogan's knees are fucking dust. Yeah. Um, Sid does the Hogan taunt and goes for the big leg drop. Hogan rolls out and he's up immediately. Uh, he knocks Sid down and Sid dies, tries to outdo Kidman with his dying. Uh, Hogan gets him in position to drop the leg, but Nash comes out and fucking batters him. Um, so the bell rings. Uh, Sting then comes out to uh, rescue Hogan, splashes for everybody, and then Rick Steiner comes out. And that was a real no one invited you, mate, uh, moment. All the stars and Rick Steiner are here. Um, Hogan and Nash then start scrapping. And then all of a sudden, music starts playing. And Goldberg is here. And you want to talk, Lee. Uh, I know you want to mention very briefly something about the... While, you, while you're while you on mm-hmm. bashing the network. I, I, I purposefully uh, left out until we got to this bit. But yeah, go on. Uh, so Goldberg comes out and it's overdubbed the thing that i think like i know what you're disgusted about because you love the tune he actually comes out well it's it's not even specifically that it's like on the network we hear scott hudson go what's that noise yeah as the fans (laughs) are going fucking mental and then goldberg walks out yeah yeah and what song is it's crushing by megadeth which we established yeah, three right. is it three weeks ago on Nitro? Yeah. That Goldberg returned as Megadeth played Crushum. And yet you have the guy and look, I, I said earlier on I thought Scott Hudson had a really good show. Really 
fine yeah. stand in for the night but on the main event segment you have the lead commentator go what's that noise to this mm-hmm. fucking song you are paying high six figures for to fucking license for the biggest star in your company yeah I'm I'm sorry no you idea. cannot say what's that noise yeah yeah it's bad form isn't it um, the thing that I was so frustrated about isn't that we didn't get to hear Megadeth that is a frustration but it's that they they dubbed over his music not just with Goldberg's music but with the WWE mm-hmm. version did, yeah. of Goldberg's music they didn't even dig up the sound file for his WCW music which would have been less people would have twigged on that yeah, it's just And then we see the incredibly weird sight of Goldberg, Sting, and Hogan standing shoulder to shoulder as the show goes off the air. Yeah, like my my literal last note is Goldberg, Hogan, and Sting as top faces should have been enough to keep this company afloat. Yeah. It's also such a like talk about burning money in terms of <laughs> angles to get to look, this. And look. I, I said at, at the start, like, they, they fucking, they're, they're trying to pop business by having Hogan now as a face and everyone else is kind of okay with him. And that's, look, whatever. But when you have those three as your top faces and you somehow still end up going out of business within 18 months, I'm sorry, like, mm-hmm. fucking hell. And, like, the, the crowds yeah. are still... Like, we've seen it in the past six weeks. Loud Goldberg chants. Sting mm-hmm. is rejuvenated as a face at this point. Um, After what? Yeah. He's not in his own head. He's super <laughs> bummed out. <laughs> but, like, it. the fans are into him again for the first time since, what, February 98? Um, yeah. Hogan is... He's trying. I, I'll give him credit. He's trying as a face. Um, We know in, what? five or six weeks timeline time he returns to the fucking red and yellow and they try to pop that <sighs> it's just they 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 somehow find ways to fuck things up mm-hmm. and like Sid Nash Macho the Steiners it's not a bad heel fucking side either DDP is someone that they probably should have fucking put back into singles main events at this point as well. I like it's just yeah. It's so frustrating watching it in retrospect and knowing that they had the pieces there, they were still getting reactions. And like this is mid nineteen ninety nine. Everyone like at this like when people talk about WCW in twenty twenty three they talk about like how the company was dead by this point but like we watch the shows you can see there's aspects of the show that are over and people are getting reactions and they're still drawing crowds to a degree yeah and but do you know what the biggest like indicator of how like all was not lost in the way that people like to paint it is that very clearly as soon as wcw shuttered a whole bunch of wrestling fans just stopped yeah. watching wrestling. It's that whole lost fucking generation of WCW fans. And, like, I know 
the big talking thing at the time, like with Meltzer and Wade and stuff, was oh, would would the WCW fans be found and you know would they eventually come back to WWE or go over to WWE or would TNA get these big influ- influx of oh well WCW fans are out there somewhere and they just they were gone and that was mm-hmm. it they they had no interest in anything else it was WCW that mattered to them and this dumb fucking company just kept running them off and running them off yeah they like WCW tried to run off as many other fans as possible and then they were bought by a company that tried to run yeah. all the rest of them off not tried fucking did succeeded yeah succeeded for sure Right, that's uh, that. That brings uh, this episode of Nights Nitro to an end. Uh, we had ten matches on the show, Lee, according to the finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. Uh, three clean finishes, two DQs, two interference league to finish, and three non finishes. <laughs> Vintage Nitro, really. Um, we don't do uh, our our winners and losers usually on this, but give me your overall thoughts I on the show. I didn't take the show, like I. <sighs> As I've been outlining, well, was it maybe the easiest three-hour nitro? I'd had say so. Um, like there's there's so much promise there, and like I can't, I want to hate hate it, but I can't. I think there was there was some good stuff on here. Um, like you yeah. put, there was enough interest in that third hour between like the the Rodman return, the the Deadpool. Um, yeah, the ICP. Like you're putting um, people in position to succeed. Yeah, and as we'll cover over the next couple of weeks, they just can't help themselves and can't allow people to succeed. Yeah, for sure. Oh well, and then yeah, I suppose the the other one we we should say as well is Goldberg re-returning oh, at the end of the show. So like there was again. You know, enough positioning done, but no follow Like, even if they had fucking Megadeth on the show three weeks ago just to play Crush him, and Goldberg didn't come out, and yeah. then you had the song play now, yeah, and Goldberg comes out, that would have been like, remember when mm-hmm. fucking Cult of Personality hit and nobody knew yeah. who it was until he walked out on stage. Mm-hmm. Like that's a moment in and of itself. Now, obviously, we wouldn't get that on the network because yeah. fucking WWE. But yeah, like Goldberg running out and kicking people's asses as Crushman is playing. Like it's fucking so easy. Yeah, isn't it though? Isn't it? That's the story of WCW, and that's the story of Knights of Nitro. Thanks for listening to us again. Uh, here we'll be back in two weeks. Back on the blue brand. Back with our regularly scheduled Thunder. Uh, thanks for listening in uh, a large man appears where you want to go five Europeans a month and you get uh, a bonus podcast every alternating week uh, usually it works out at about three bonus podcasts a month um, and there's plenty going on there as we work through our Thunder Request live series where we've just done uh, Backlash 2002 a very weird period in WWF history for us to go and explore um, and we are about to next week behind the paywall delve into uh, the must see mixtape as we're calling it where uh, Mark Buckley has uh, picked a selection of matches from wrestling history that the two of us may or may not have seen 
uh, that we're going to go watch, uh, which is going to be a fascinating one. And finally, getting to watch some consistently good shit uh, will be a really interesting change of pace for us. So uh, thanks very much. That's where you can check us out. Uh, and we'll see you back on the free feed in two weeks. Thanks a million. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.